You are listening to Spitball with Adri Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to the conference championship edition of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows. With me this week, as always, is my superstar co-host, yet feeling slightly under the weather, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, sir? Better now that I'm uh, getting to do a podcast. Fair play. You've been a bit under the weather, have you, fella? A little bit rough about the gills, yeah. Oh dear. Well, okay. Well, we'll we'll try not to take up too much of your time this evening, then, buddy. So you can have a little bit of a recovery timeline in bed and whatnot. And thank you again for coming out of your sick bed to, to do the show with us. Let's crack on with the conference championship games. Now, AFC or NFC should we start with? I think we'll, uh, we'll start AFC. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds fine with me, buddy. So, the AFC game between the New England Patriots and the, the Denver Broncos. Now, those people who listened to the show last week will know how I was raving on about the New England rushing attack. The best way to beat Denver is to keep Manning off the field. New England rushing attack this, New England rushing attack that. Denver won't know what to do. Um, there was a, a bit of a lack of a, a running game on New England's part. So uh, what do we think happened there? I don't know. I don't know if they changed the uh, schemes this week. Um, uh, to be fair, though, I was watching watching the game and you could definitely see what Jack Del Rio was trying to do as as defensive coordinator now over Denver. He's really spruced up that defense. They look really aggressive and and hungry yeah absolutely I think they mentioned it in commentary as well I, I was a bit surprised by this but they were saying um, that they if if you expected New England to come out and try and run all over Denver then that just wasn't going to happen if they were facing Indianapolis again they would have done it but there's no way they'd do that against Denver and I'm thinking to myself well it really doesn't make sense why would you try and get involved in a shootout with, with Peyton Manning and that Broncos offence at the moment especially when You've only got one defender that can really handle their best receiver. And as we saw what happened there, when their best defender, Akib Talib goes down with an injury, then they just don't have a way of stopping Demarius Thomas. Yeah, what seemed to happen is once uh, Talib went out the game, they became a little bit like Swiss cheese and the uh, the holes started to uh, to creep up. And yeah, I don't understand why, especially you look at Brunt after having such a great game. We're talking five Five um, five rushes for six yards. It seemed that they sort of gave up on him rather than trying to trying to some, secure some sort of run game. Yeah, I, I really don't understand it. I mean, would you agree with me? The best way to beat Peyton Manning is clearly to keep him off the field as much as possible, right? Yes, yes, I do. I completely agree with it. And look at his figures, and they'll speak volumes about how much how much play time he actually got. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know clockwise what the um, possession was. I don't know if you've got the. Uh, the clock minutes there. Yeah, absolutely. We have a time of possession in favour of Denver, 35 minutes 44 to New England's 24 minutes 16. I mean, we know that Denver just had some monster drives. The first couple of drives each, obviously, Patriots went three and out on their first attempt. And then the Broncos did end up having to punt. But you could see that Denver were, weren't having as much trouble moving the ball. And every time they got the ball, they just took sort of big chunks of time I think the first drive was like a few minutes and then most of their scoring drives were like seven eight minutes a pop and and this is precisely why I thought you have to try and keep him off the field because not only are they gonna score but 
we saw the way they just chewed up the offense. And credit where credit's due, I thought Peyton Manning had a fantastic game, not just with his arm, but every time we saw that New England defense playing sort of four linemen, maybe one linebacker or sort of offset linebackers and leaving the middle of the field completely open for the run, he'd just audible at the line of scrimmage and give it to Moreno, who just kind of also had a, a great day, really. Yeah, I mean, that was it. You looked at his game management and, uh, I mean, there's, there's a little viral going around on, online, which is quite funny because he's clearly... When he wants to change the play, his his change of play is, is, is Omaha. <laughs> yeah. So they were having a bit of a joke about that on the, um, the NFL sites. How That's many like times he called Omaha in that game. Yeah, because it it's shows not just... how he knew what he was doing. Yeah, and it's, it's not just the change of play. Is it Omaha means quick snap? It means change the play? It means do this, do that? There's so many different meanings, apparently, for um, when he says Omaha. that I, To be a member of that offense and to try and figure it out each time would be an absolute mission. Exactly, but when we go back to the decisive factor here, you said that you had to keep Manning off the field, and I think the best way to beat the Patriots as well is to keep Brady off the field, and, and for some reason, Patriots forgot the fact, and Denver knew exactly how to play it. Yeah, definitely, and that comes down to coaching, doesn't it? It comes down to game plan, it comes down to preparation. They knew exactly what they needed to do, and they knew that when they got on the on the field, like you said, they likewise needed to keep Brady off it, and... Um, well, they did a, a very, very good job. I mean, they kept Brady to only 277 yards, but more importantly, they kept the Patriots down to 16 points, which is a massive achievement. With Even with their depleted receiving core, you, you know, keeping them to 16 points is a, is a big achievement, I think. And there were some key players for Broncos, like you said, on that defensive line. I thought Terrence Knighton had a, a great game, definitely. Um, just constant pressure in Brady's face. And there's a epic picture I've managed to put on the blog which is where Knighton got his sack on Brady and you've got kind of Brady half in the air going towards landing on his back and kind of Knighton standing over him. And um, you can see that, as I say, on the blog, www.bullhawksnest.weebly.com and click on the lowdown. But in general, I think everyone across that line, Sean Phillips as well, as a collective, the Denver front line had a massive game. Overpowered them, really. They definitely overpowered the... Uh... The, the offensive line for the Patriots. So there's no doubt there that battle was definitely won by Denver. Yeah, and if you for anyone that was watching the the Sky coverage, Jeff Reinbold, who they normally have on as well as a as a pundit, former coach of Kansas City Chiefs, NFL Europe, Canadian football, really really knowledgeable guy and and very much worth the watch whenever you watch any form of uh, Sky commentary or any commentary that has him involved. He was saying, you know, it's going to come down to who wins the battle in the trenches between these two teams. Yeah, because we, we saw they won the defensive front, but how about the other side of the ball where clearly no sacks on Peyton Manning, so the Denver offensive line also won their trench battle. Yeah, no no sacks, no real pressure. When he did have a bit of pressure, Peyton Manning made some exceptional throws off his back foot as well, managing to just gun the ball in there. And um, yeah, really actually impressed with Peyton Manning's performance in, in general, the way he managed the clock the way he made some great throws and I have to eat a bit of humble pie because obviously I said last week that I would expect Peyton Manning to make mistakes in a big game but he really stepped up and uh, no no mistakes to speak of at all and and just a quick mention again then of uh, Demarius Thomas who had a monster game once to lead went off seven receptions over 100 yards a touchdown as well Denver did clearly beat New England uh, 26 to 16 so they are the AFC champions and we'll be representing them in the Super Bowl We'll move on now then to the NFC Conference Championship match between the 49ers and Seahawks. What a way for the game to start, Marcus, with Olden Smith with his strip slash sack slash fumble, forced fumble, fumble recovery. 
everything you could possibly do as a defensive end slash linebacker he did it that was very pretty the way he did it again it was the pressure coming out they didn't expect them to be so aggressive so you have to try to be glitzy with a bit of their play try to get Wilson's feet moving straight away and I, it was it, it sort of set a tone for that first half really yeah and for me the way Smith just broke off his block and he just flew at Wilson like an like a bolt out of a cannon I would have mistaken him quite easily for your same bolt the, the way he came out and it was just ridiculous closing speed and the way he kind of stripped the ball out of Wilson it kind of Wilson does a bit of a pirouette doesn't he and kind of the ball's in one hand then it's in the other and it's behind his back oh, and next thing it's on the floor and his yeah. body, which is always a big no no yeah that's it and just falls out and he kind of has a hand on it when he tries to recover it himself but Smith's there to just dive on it and credit again to Seattle defence for keeping San Francisco to only three points because that would have been massive if San Francisco get a touchdown off of that. Yeah, I mean, the damage limitation that the the defence sort of had throughout the entire day, there's a few other moments where you're sitting there going, this could get incredibly dangerous and uh, there was some exceptional play. Especially the first quarter just looked so nervy for Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, didn't they do that a couple of years ago against Atlanta as well? I'm sure it was, yeah. It was against Atlanta in the first first round of the playoffs was it last year and, um, and they came back in atlanta in the, yeah they came back in about 24 point comeback wasn't it yeah something like that it just seemed to be really really nervous and um actually no scrap that i think it was it would have been the divisional playoffs wasn't it because atlanta got there first in a long time actually no it was their first ever first round playoff win wasn't it yes because then again then we saw the conference again last year where Sim- san francisco this time went through yeah absolutely and um san francisco they come up with a slightly different game plan i noticed that they were rushing kaepernick a lot especially at the start of this game and throughout the game in fact he had 11 carries and 130 yards you know the kind of stats you would expect gore to have but instead kaepernick had them instead yeah the actual traditional running back running game didn't actually work at all the defense like i said managed to come across and completely snuff it out and it was a lot of broken plays Kaepernick started to move his feet finding the gaps in the coverage which you would have thought would have been covered up for such a mobile quarterback but he managed to really abuse the, the, the over aggressiveness of Seattle because Seattle came out all, all guns blazing and, and sometimes that hurt yeah absolutely and um, as the game sort of progressed onwards obviously going into the half 10 free down the Seahawks and then in the second half Whatever was said in the locker room and and however they decided to change their game plan, they just really started to to clamp down. I mean, after Marshawn Lynch got his touchdown, Bolden answered back with his touchdown. But then after that, the defense just shut up shop, forced a fumble on Kaepernick, picked him off twice, including one that all the credit really has to go to Richard Sherman when he's one-on-one in the end zone. Kaepernick throws the ball up and somehow Richard Sherman manages to get up above the receiver and knock it down and and there's a grateful linebacker waiting underneath it just to take the pick and and seal the game off for them. Yeah, game-winning play. Absolutely. All that talk and all that trash talking he does, which it still really bugs me, but I still really appreciate the fact that he is a tremendous player. I just wish he would kind of uh, knock it back a bit, but I suppose that's just the type of player he is. And it seems, though, from what I've heard he said off the field, you know, I think it's just purely an in-game act or persona that you see the same way that you see actors play different characters in movies he's kind of playing the villain whenever he walks onto an NFL pitch would you agree there Marcus yeah I think it's the buzz that he's getting you see some players they have to um, get themselves rolling they have to get themselves riled up before they play a game other game other players you see they, they try and calm themselves down before a game and go and cool collected he definitely he's taking on that one where he's he's 
trying to light up his team. I think he makes a lot of energy. Like you said, I think the fact that he actually backs it up with what he does, I think a lot of the trash talking, if, if he fell by the wayside and, and was getting burned repeatedly, you know, then there's no need for it. The fact that he, he can back it up, he's given the right sort of buzz from his team there. I just don't think sometimes as well, the media and the fans, sometimes it could be just turned down, toned down a bit because sometimes it's just it's coming off and being perceived in a little bit in the wrong way. Absolutely, and looking as well, one thing I wanted to, to mention as well before we move on and leave the Championship games there was another great performance from Doug Baldwin, who in the last half of the season seems to have really become a key receiver for Russell Wilson because he had no touchdowns admittedly, but six receptions for 106 yards. So Wilson is clearly looking for him when he needs a big play. Yes, absolutely. And, and what a handy player he is in the return game as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Speed and elusiveness, two great elements to have in the return game. So we will leave the conference championship games there. But again, nice little cheap pop Mick Foley style. If you want to see highlights of the games, go and check out this week's blog. We've got nice little review on both games as well as both sets of highlights. So www ballhawksnest.weebly.com and don't forget if you want to get in touch send us an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com or tweet us at ballhawksnest leave a comment on the page or get in contact via any of the social media icons on the web page you are listening to spitball now we move on to my favourite part of the show, and that is where we recognise the great performances of the week in our awards, our offensive impact player, otherwise known as the <laughs> awards after the great Calvin Johnson himself, and our Mr. Award after obviously the great Mr. Ray Lewis. And uh, so, Marcus, who would be your runner-up slash silver medalist for our Mr. Award? Okay, right. Well, my runner-up is a little bit weird this this week because we talk about impact. You've gone with the cheerleaders? No, not quite the cheerleaders. I've actually gone for someone whose, say, presence impacted the game, or shall I say his... Lack of presence, and I've gone for Akib Talib, and this is the spin I'm going for it here. The fact is that once he came off the field, the yardage-wise being thrown in the first half with him in results in only 54 yards. However, then you saw once he came out of the game, Manning then managed to throw for 400 yards, and I don't think it's that big a game without him there. Okay, yeah, so you're kind of saying that basically the impact he had by leaving the game, so he kind of he's the runner-up for what he did while he was on the field, kind of as well. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, because in, he is pretty much the commander of that, that secondary. It's, it's a young secondary. It's somewhat inexperienced. Some people might say that, you know, it's, it's, it's missing some key talent. So you saw once Tlaib came out, the fact was 54 throwing yards, I believe, on something silly like, is it seven, I've written here, seven attempts, 54 yards. And whereas you look at then suddenly the impact that Manny has on the game, managing to stretch out for 36 pass completions for 400 yards. The difference in yardage, I think it, the holes that just ended up opening up and the man coverage just isn't quite the same when you're taking on the likes of McCourtney and I can't remember the other corner for New England, but I just don't think they're quite as sharp and there's just not as much impact without him on that field. Yeah, that's completely fair enough. Well, this week for my runner-up for the Mr. Ray Lewis Award 
is Terence Knighton, defensive tackle for the Denver Broncos for everything he did on the day. I mean, his stats may not necessarily reflect it, but uh, it's just four tackles. But one of them was that really big sack in a key moment uh, on Tom Brady when New England were in a scoring position. And next thing you know, one sack later, 10 yards lost later, New England then have to punt it away. So I think all day Terence Knighton was just in Brady's face, whether it be trying to tip a pass, getting some form of contact on him, getting a hand in there. Um, I think just he was everywhere, just massive. With his running makes, as we said earlier, when we were talking about the game with Sean Phillips and likes, but I just thought, for me, he was the standout in that Denver Broncos defensive line. So how about trumpets blaring? Your winner for the Mr... Award. My winner this week is going to go to Cam Chancellor, safety for Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, you could have had a few people, couldn't you, I think, on that Seattle defence. The linebackers played well. We know how well the secondary played. But how come him out of all of the others? Well, I just think it's the impact he had where a lot of people might think that, oh, what about, you know, Sherman and his game-winning, you know, deflections, stuff like that. But I think a lot of the time you're looking at, at that secondary and you're taking on the likes of um, Kaepernick and we know he can throw his arm but the whole defence to be fair was great restricting him to that 150 uh, passing yards the Chancellor had 11 tackles 5 of them were solo and I know Sherman had the crucial pass deflection but uh, Chancellor actually had two of his, two pass deflections himself and an interception so I think all around he was just making every everything with the run game he was coming in for the run game he was protecting the deep balls and being the presence there and I just think at times he's kind of the you look at the likes of say Thomas or Sherman and they take up a lot of sort of their headlines and I think there's some other people there who who really put the the effort in week after week. Yeah, and this of... game especially it was just I think crucial in that secondary to have. Oh, excellent. Well, my winner this week for the Mister Award goes to Trumpets again, please. <laughs> Alden Smith, defensive end slash linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers because if you want impact, how about the first play from scrimmage in the biggest game of the season so far, the NFC Conference game, we mentioned it before, comes out, breaks off his block, gets after Wilson, strips the ball, recovers the fumble, puts San Francisco in a great position to quieten that Seattle crowd right from the off. That, sir, is impact. And he didn't just do it once, of course, because he had another sack later on in the game. He did indeed, yeah. Two sacks indeed. Well played, sir. Thank you for reminding me of that. It's normally the other way around, so well done you. <laughs> <laughs> now we, of course, move on to our... <laughs> ...award. And who is your runner-up this week, Marcus? And my runner-up, we've already spoke about him earlier. It's going to go to uh, Doug Baldwin, uh, wide receiver for the Saddle Sea Elks. That, my friend, is a great shout. Yeah, I think what he did with that 106 yards... I mean, he's, he's definitely filling that void that, that Harvin's um, left on that team because you need that standout receiver. But also, it, what really got me is the return game. I mean, he had over 100 yards in the return game also with that massive 69-yard return. And I think if you can get your guys set up with a great position coming off the kick return, I mean, sometimes it's just it gives your offense just that boost to suddenly come out and try and get the first, first set of 10 and then get the chains moving. I think you, we don't give that enough of a, um, a wider impact on the game, what these kick returns can do. All I heard was 69 and great position. Um, 
So, yeah, no, uh, you, you're so right about that. Special teams, is it can quite often be an underrated part of the game, but at the same time, it is such a key element. It's, it's all three elements of the team that, that make up a great team, really. And we saw that never more so last year when Baltimore won the Super Bowl because you had the defence led by the great Mr Lewis. You had Joe Flacco and Anquan Bolden running the offence. And then, of course, we had Jacoby Jones just setting fire to the turf with the opening kickoff in the second half. So, um, yeah, special teams, Doug Baldwin, fantastic player. Now, I'm sticking with Seattle for my runner-up in the <laughs> award, and I've gone for Mr. Beast Mode himself, Marshawn Lynch. Over 100 yards rushing, one touchdown. San Francisco, bear in mind, hadn't given up a 100-yard rusher in 22 games. So, for Beast Mode to come in, do what he does best, bulldoze the defence keep the clock running, make big plays when he needs to. I think he had a 40-yard touchdown, wasn't it, this week? Just mm. fantastic. The guy, I can't say enough about him. And I, I often wonder, I think to myself, as a Bills fan, we're going we're gonna to go digress down this road just a little bit. As a Bills fan, I think to myself, we let Marshawn Lynch go. And while I'm grateful we've got Spiller and Jackson because they are awesome, what would we be able to do if we still had beast mode? You think he could have also, the, uh, the fumble down at the goal line, he could have had an even a greater impact on the day, but yeah, once once those skittle gets uh, gets a munching and he's starting to run in, yeah, you best get out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. So, who is your winner this week for the <laughs> award? To be fair, it was once once I was watching the games, I I knew who was going to be my winner from from the start, and I, unequivocally, it, it has to be for me, Peyton Manning, quarterback for the Denver Broncos this week to take the winning spot. I wholeheartedly agree, and he is indeed also my winner of the. <laughs> award i think not just for his 400 yards and his two touchdowns the main thing for me is definitely the control of the game and the audibles at the line of scrimmage and and everything he does to marshal that offense oh yes and for me the poise in the pocket is really something that you know you you watch how many people are becoming sort of mobile quarterbacks and he is kind of off that old school class of, of the in-pocket um passer and i just think you look to see how how you can generate such an attack with someone who is a pocket passer. And I know people are sitting there going dual threats and all this uh, other way forward. But I think you look at the old school way of doing it, the way he commanded his team, the way he could see the weaknesses, exploit them. I just think, you know, that is really quintessentially what the uh, the quarterback's supposed to do. And he sort of gave a great A-star performance. Excellent, yeah. And, and as, a, as a random question, thinking of mobile quarterbacks, do you think that it's just the way the, the game is progressing athletically? that we're seeing so many mobile quarterbacks or has a standard of offensive lineman gone so downhill that the quarterbacks have got no choice but to be athletic? No, I think a lot of the time there's there's the new schemes, I think. is You're coming, if you're a mobile quarterback in college, they'll keep you mobile because there's more mobile quarterbacks in college because the college game allows you to be more mobile. It just means that the NFL, they're just taking more guys and keeping their mobile schemes in the pro. So just an evolution of the game rather than a detriment to yeah. any others? I, I think it's an evolution of the game rather than um, standard slipping. OK, excellent. That's, uh, that's always good to hear. So congratulations then to our Mr. Lewis. Award winners in Alden Smith and uh, Cam Chancellor. And of course, our unanimous <laughs> award winner, Peyton Manning, quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Oh, y'all want the play? Okay, here we go. 
We got Gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, Key left. Mercedes, wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick going. Now we move on to what grinds Marcus's gears. You know what really grinds my gears? As he's feeling a bit under the weather this week, it's more like what grinds my gears. I know, I can hear you all groaning already. But I have a very valid point, I think, this week. You know what really grinds my gears? It's when players are being carted off injured and some Neanderthal fans, only a small portion of fans, admittedly, at the Seattle game, decided that they were going to litter Bowman with popcorn. The guy's just torn his MCL and his ACL. Let's have a little bit of respect, shall we? Regardless of who you support, regardless of what team you play for, what team you're representing, if any player gets injured, let's all come together and pray that they get better soon and that the injury isn't as bad as it looks because none of us want to be in that situation. We all play amateur sports ourselves. If you play an amateur sport out there, whether it be flag football or normal football, basketball, what have you, how would you feel if you're lying there on the ground and then all the spectators just decided to just start throwing crap at you? Pennies, popcorn, whatever they had in their pockets. Do you, do you really think that's respectful? I don't think so. So that, my friends, is what really grinds my gears. What's up, big boy? Let's do Nice job. Way to get us over there, baby. Hey, uh, old school game. This is our game, right? This is our kind of game. Now we look ahead to both the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. Going to start off with the Pro Bowl, which of course is being played this coming weekend. We have some slight alterations to the Pro Bowl this year. That's right. The NFL have found it within themselves once again to change how the Pro Bowl is run this year. Now, Marcus, I think when we were just chatting briefly, I think you said you weren't quite sure how they were running the Pro Bowl this year. Well, let me fill you in, sir. <laughs> Brilliant. Just realised what I just said. That is epic. That's innuendo crazy. But uh, the Pro Bowl this year, we are going to have... Instead of an AFC and an NFC team, they're going to have a Fantasy Pro Bowl draft. So we've got two captains. We have Dion Sanders and Jerry Rice, I believe, picking the two teams. Ooh, today, in fact. They're going to be drafting the first picks. As I say, the way it's going to work, they're going to fill both rosters out with um, Fantasy Drafts. What do you think of that, Marcus? So it's going to be a Team Rice versus Team Sanders. Basically, yeah, unconference rosters uh, is how they're going to roll. You know what? I rather like it. Yeah? Yeah, I like the idea. Well, a lot of us who who watch um, football, we're into our fantasy football. And it's like the ultimate fantasy football game at the end of the year. I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I mean, that, that's completely fair enough. So, um, yeah, so it's for the first time in history it's going to be unconference, which, yeah, as we say... The players that were selected by the fans, the coaches and players, without regard to which conference they played in. So, looking at the rosters, the QBs on selection are your likely suspects. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. But chances are he'll be substituted out with him going to the Super Bowl the following week. Cam Newton, Philip Rivers, Russell Wilson and Nick Foles. Great to see Nick Foles in there. Um, let me just have a... Look. Yeah, he's highly deserved that this year. Some running backs of note. Jamal Charles, Matt Forte, Frank Gore, uh, Beast Mode, but we assume again he won't be there. LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, Eddie Lacy, Alfred Morris. Surprise Morris made it this year, actually. Fullbacks, Marcel Reese, Mike Tolbert. Um, big tight ends, Jimmy Graham, Julius Thomas, Jason Witten, Vernon Davis. Jordan Cameron of Cleveland Bounds making it in. 
Again, another person who's deserved it. Absolutely, yeah. And receivers, we've got Antonio Brown, Des Bryant, Fitzgerald, Josh Gordon, AJ Green, Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson, Brandon Marshall, Demarius Thomas, Deshaun Jackson, and Alshon Jeffrey. So, yeah, I think it could be... It'll be interesting. I look forward to seeing um, how it plays out, really, because it's going to be strange not having AFC and NFC, because obviously being an, an AFC man myself, I always like to look out and see you know, make sure the AFC win, but who am I going to cheer for in this circumstance where there's no conference allegiance? It seems a bit weird. I don't quite know where to go with it. No, I was just going to say, it's going to be one of those goes that's going to be boom or bust, I think. Either it's going to work really well and it will now continue, or it's going to be one of those ones where it will be scrapped after a single single go and we'll go back to AFC, I think, uh, AFC, NFC. Yeah, I suppose it's a good way as, as well of uh, making the game maybe a bit more even because I think the NFC have had a bit of a dominance, haven't they, really, the last few years. So um, it would be interesting to see if, if it does make a difference in that respect. So would you reckon, do I go for the team where the majority of my players, as in the Buffalo Bills players, are playing? Because we've got Jarius Bird, Marcel Darius, um, obviously, and amongst the selections as well. So do I hope they get picked for the same team and, and vote for them and, and cheer them on? See, for me, what I'm going to do, I've, I've already decided in these couple of minutes, and for me, being a defensive guy, I've got to go with Team Sanders. Yeah, is that what you're going to do? Yeah, I'm going to basically go, Rice, he's for all your offensive guys, Sanders, all us defence nuts. Yeah. Fair play. No worries. Well, we'll leave that there, and uh, if you get a chance, actually, I've managed to find a very, very good article on the Bleacher Report about the Pro Bowl, so... I will put a link to that alongside the podcast. I strongly recommend you have a check of that before this Sunday's game. Now, let's have a bit of a fanfare, please. Looking ahead now to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 48 or XLV III as it's otherwise known. To be played in MetLife Stadium, East Rutherford, New Jersey. Don't forget, New Jersey. And strangely enough, actually, both number one seeds. How often is it that you get both top-seeded teams in the Super Bowl itself? Yeah, it's been it's kind of clear-cut this year. That you know the two best teams from each division, um, each conference, have uh, have found their way to the top. And rightly so as well, with the way that Denver have been playing this year, particularly offensively, you would have to say they they without a shadow of a doubt deserve to go to the Super Bowl and. I guess likewise Seattle because of their defence. So it's, it, that's going to be another offence versus defence battle almost, isn't it? Both have got good defences, both have got good offences. I think we'll either have a nice big scorey game or we're going to have two um, a, a defensive shutdown, really. Which one are you going to favour, though? I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot and get you to make a decision. Do you think it'll be a offensive game or a defensive game? I think under the big under the big lights, it could it could end up becoming you know a couple of players a bit nervous, a couple of drops, you know a couple of um, little mistakes. So uh, I haven't seen what the weather report's going to be like either, because of course remember last time Manning won a Super Bowl, it was in Miami in a monsoon. So oh yeah, against the um, against the Bears, they managed to find a way to for their defense surprisingly, to uh, have a phenomenal game. Exactly, and I think they've got a better defence now. So I think it's going to be a defensive sort of lockdown, probably maybe a 17-10 or something like that, or or kind of kind of um, a 23-17 like the, the Seattle-San um, Francisco game we just had, you know. That's quite low scoring. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like some of the uh, Eli Manning Brady Super Bowls we've had as well, they've generally been quite close, haven't they? Like 24 21, that kind of yeah. score. So, okay, well, with that in mind, give me two reasons why you think Seattle will win the Super Bowl. Reason one, the Legion of Boom. Reason two, Can't deny. reason two, I think Russell Wilson's elusiveness. Ooh, you went for Russell Wilson over Beast Mode. I think when it comes down to it, it's going to have to be. I think you'll get another maybe a hundred yard game out of Marshawn Lynch, but if if that defense we saw we saw that what that front seven did to Manning, I think you'll need Wilson to be as as aware to have his awareness, his sort of spidey senses tingling throughout the entire game. Make sure he's evading all those defenders that will be coming. Jack Del Rio is going to be incredibly aggressive. I think it's going to come down to him and how well he can manage under the big lights. This is this is really his first Super Bowl, so you know does the veteranship of Manning better manage his game? Question mark, question mark. It's a chance for Peyton Manning to tie the number of Super Bowls that his brother Eli has. So, uh, yeah, he could go to so two reasons why Denver will win the Super Bowl. Firstly, Peyton Manning. Secondly, Peyton Manning. No, <laughs> in all seriousness, I think Peyton Manning and that Broncos offense, you've got so many different weapons and ways for them to hurt you. And we saw again this week with, you think it's going to be Moreno who's going to get a bulk of the carries, but Moreno seems to be the 20-yard to 20-yard ball carrier, and then anything inside the 20-yard line seems to go to uh, Monte Ball to, to bulldoze his way through. And for a big guy, he's actually quite elusive as well and knows when and where to cut. So I think we're going to go with Peyton Manning and that Broncos offense. That's the reason why. I don't know that Seattle are a great defense. Can they stop Manning and the Legion of Scores? I don't know if I can get away with that. Mm. It's a really bad one. But uh, also, the way that defensive line of Denver played against New England, looking for them to get constant pressure, as you said, through Jack Del Rio with his coordination skills, looking for them to get lots of pressure on Russell Wilson. But as well, guys, let us know who you think is going to win. I think it's time for a cheeky poll, isn't it? On the Well, hey, again, brilliant innuendo city. It's time to get a poll up on the podcast page to see who everyone out there thinks is going to win Super Bowl 48. Seattle Seahawks or Denver Broncos? Batted and pinned. Off to the races. 40, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown. Just when you thought the show was over because we've talked about the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl and there are no other NFL games after that until next season, I thought I would mix things up a little bit to finish off the show, Marcus. All right, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking we're going to finish off with something that is also quite close to my heart, and that is... The LFL. I thought we'd give it a little segment this week because we are most of the way now through our LFL Australia season, and I'm sure you, like me, have been keeping on top of the games, have you, sir? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, um, I didn't know um, how well it would be well-received in Australia, but it seems to have gone down a treat. Yeah, both fans and players alike. I've been very impressed <laughs> with some of the the players. I think there's a few players as well that I think are, are really standing out, which I'll, I'll come on to shortly. But um, for those who aren't familiar with the LFL, there's two things you can do. You can go to lflau.com.au and find the official LFL Australia website or you can drop off in the Legends Lounge on my website where you will find my LFL Australia preview and soon to be LFL Australia season review 
and um, see what you think to those. So the four teams we have in LFL Australia, again, just to give you guys a, a bit of background, we have New South Wales Surge, based in Sydney, Queensland Brigade, Victoria Maidens from Melbourne, and the Western Australia Angels. Now, going into the season, it was New South Wales Surge who were the favourites. They also had a few of the American imports as well, in Chloe Butler and Monique Gaxiola. Queensland Brigade, uh, pretty much all Australian-based players, except for the running back Tamar Fennell. Victoria Maidens are a squad of all Australian players, which is fantastic. And, of course, we had the Western Australia Angels, who, again, predominantly Australian, but they also had the addition of our Mr Ray Lewis award winner from LFL America last year, Adrian Pennell, the strong safety slash linebacker. So, who or what games have taken your fancy this season so far, Marcus? What what plays or players have have stood out for you? Uh, well, for me, really, it's uh, it's come down to this. There's a lovely little rivalry brewing from Victoria and New South Wales. We've seen this in both their games this year. Very close. Very. Very aggressive games. Yeah, and particularly um, the first game, because I understand that there was a, a coach's agreement for the, the game to stay clean, but the way the players acted on the pitch, it didn't really quite look as though it was very clean. No, no. No, they were tearing shreds out of each other. But, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've been very impressed as well. Um, with the American imports, definitely, you can tell the teams that have the American imports, the Adrian Pennells, the Monique Gaxiolas... Uh, Chloe Butler, they they are really making a chance to shine over in Australia. Just maybe because you know playing amongst all the rookies, that the veteranship's coming through. But yeah, for each of their teams respectively, they're just they're beasting up. Yeah, um, and there's a few players I think that um, have caught my eye, and obviously the same as I do with with any season review that I do. There'll be a Mr. Ray Lewis Award winner um, and runner up, and and same with a Megatron Award as well for Australia and. There's a few players that I think have really stood out for me. You've got Tammy West, who's a receiver for the Western Australia Angels. I think it seems to be whenever there's a big play to be made, Leah Turnbull, their quarterback, goes straight for her, and she's made some really explosive plays this year, in particularly against in their win, actually, against New South Wales Surge. Yeah, the critical win, because that really blew up the league. It's been very open, very open, the league. I mean... We're still right now. We're still fighting out to see who will actually make it to the Legends Cup. Yeah, we know now that it's going to be the New South Wales Surge. They secured their place with their two wins over the Victoria Maidens. So um, it's basically down to Western Australia and Queensland Brigade who face off in eleven days, five hours, nineteen minutes, and one second at the point of recording, um, to be precise. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. I'm pretty sure it's whoever wins goes to the big game at the end of the season. So it'll be interesting. Another player, actually, if I digress back to that, who's caught my eye, New South Wales Surge, have got an Australian player who used to be a gladiator as well, Shari Onley. I don't know how much of her you've seen, but I just think as far as blocking goes, she's really got that down to a T. I think there's no one in that league that blocks the same way she does. She's a very useful tight end as well, don't get me wrong, but I just think on the offensive line, she has been extremely dominant. Yes, I think that's really where she's going to make her namesake. She's got a few catches, but she's also got a few drop, few drops. I think really the presence there, she opens up, they've got a great running game um, behind, the, uh, behind the likes of Bonnie Gillespie, 
and uh, I forget the the other running back for New South Wales, but they've got a two running back system, and it's absolutely great because they have such great blockers. The I'm offensive line is probably the best in NFL Australia. I'm wondering. I think it's the young player, isn't it? Bronte Zaire, I think. Is that does that ring yep, a bell for you? Yeah, that's it. She's only about 18 years old, but when you have the two mix match of Gillespie, who's quite clearly a heads down, knocking people over runner, and then the, this youngster who's very much the speed trapper on the outsides um it's just it's an awesome system and like i said the the blockers they've got on the offensive line i mean are mobile enough to actually open up the blocks down the field as well when they they're stretching the play yeah absolutely so you might say that they've got the classic flash and thunder back combo yes yeah they've definitely got that and um i like i said i think they've got the best running combination in the lfl but um like i said um you just spoke about actually the the air game of the Angels and I think that, that's really going to come down to their dominance to try and um, beat uh, the Brigade because we know the Brigade where they're a bit weaker maybe is in the secondary Yeah absolutely and and Queensland Brigade I've taken on as, as my team this year just through um, basically through I think through Twitter really just a lot of the players that I started to follow uh, following the Bullhawks nest back and everything and, and interaction with those so they've kind of uh, taken my support with Victoria Maidens being a, a very close second so when they faced, faced off against each other obviously my support is with the Brigade but I wanted to see a good game and wanted the Maidens to make a, a good fight of it because A they're the only all Australian team playing in the league this year and I just think They've got some great players as well. They've got uh, Talia Greenwood, who's their strong safety. She's been another player that's really impressed this year. Yeah, that's that's their strength. I mean, very difficult to uh, to pass deep on the maidens. Uh, really, the only the only weakness they've got is um, that they they don't quite have the speed. They've got a they've got a good set of size to sort of stop the run, but <laughs> they struggle um, in the speed game really. Absolutely. So I'm going to finish that off there. So we've only got uh, one more week of LFL Australia left and then LFL US kicks off again in April. So if you haven't had the chance yet, I strongly recommend you check it out as it's going to be off season anyway. Like, what are you going to do instead of watching American football? Are you going to go and watch baseball? I don't think so. Go and watch the LFL. It'll be uber exciting. The athletes are just phenomenal. I think you'll be surprised and amazed at just how athletic and how some of the plays uh, these ladies make, they're just absolutely phenomenal. I can't talk highly enough of them. That will conclude matters for this week and actually for next week as well, with it only being the Pro Bowl. I hate to say it's not really much for us to, to cover there, so there'll be no blog next week and there will also be no episode of Spitball. Big sigh, everybody. Aww. Or cheer, if you're that way inclined, I don't know. You'll probably be happy for the week off, won't you, Marcus? Uh, well, I was going to say, could, could have done with getting ill uh, next Tuesday. Would have been much more convenient. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for fighting through. It's been a, a pleasure, as always, uh, with you on the show. Oh, same as. It's been great. And I uh, look forward to reconvening after the big Super Bowl between Seattle and Denver. Stay tuned to it, folks. It's going to be a great game. And finish off by saying, remember to get in touch. Send us an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Tweet us at ballhawksnest or use any of the social media icons at the top of the webpage. And don't forget, we're also now downloadable on iTunes. So until after the Super Bowl, folks, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by. Hmm.
How about the squadron of scores? 